0: So today we want to introduce our theme for this month, which will also be the theme uh, of the conference. I'll just do the introduction. Our main text is Acts chapter three, verse 19. If you can open that with us, please. Acts chapter three, verse 19. I read three different translations on that. It reads, repent ye therefore and be converted That your sins may be blotted out when times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. We're borrowing that phrase, times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. We're going to use that as our theme for this month and use that in our introduction. The NIV reads Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come. From the Lord. The Weymouth translation reads, Repent therefore and reform your lives, so that the record of your sins may be cancelled and that there may come seasons of revival from the Lord. Now, as you know, we picked up reading in the middle of a chapter, and for that reason, it would be very difficult to have a full understanding of what was said. You do remember that in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, the Bible tells us, were on their way to pray in the morning and they met a man at the gate of Beautiful who, had, who, had, who hadn't been able to walk since his birth. And the Bible tells us that Peter prayed for this man and through the power of God, this man was totally healed. When that happened, it caused a stir in the city. And people came rushing around to see this miracle that had happened. And Peter took that opportunity to preach to those people and tell them that don't make an assumption that what has happened has happened because of our holiness. This all has happened because of the name of Jesus Christ. And then he started preaching to his countrymen how that Jesus had been crucified on the cross that he was killed or murdered, and God raised him from the dead, and that through faith in the name of Jesus, that man was healed. When Peter preached that sermon, he was preaching a similar sermon to what he had preached before at the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost happened and people got filled with the Spirit, a lot of people ran to the upper room to come and see this wonder, as they heard these 120 believers praying in tongues and speaking to God in other tongues, and they were marveling at what was happening. And Peter stood up to preach and said to them, do not be surprised at what is happening. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. When he said, in the last day, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions. And then Peter started recounting and telling them going as far back as he could go how that God had promised that the Messiah would come and that this Messiah would suffer. And Peter started preaching to them and explaining to them. This is what he said in Acts 2 verse 23. This man, talking about Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So Peter is challenging them. He's telling them, you are the ones who killed the Messiah. You are the ones who crucified him. And then in Acts chapter 3, where we are reading, In verse 17, he repeats a similar kind of sermon. He says there in verse 17, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in in ignorance as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. So Peter is challenging these Jews who did not believe in Christ, that Jesus had been raised from the dead. But then he's pointing out to them that you are the ones Who crucified him? He says, The prophets foretold the suffering and the death of the Messiah, and you as a nation fulfilled these prophecies without realizing what you had done. So Peter is announcing to them this is the crime that you committed, this is the evidence of it. But then he doesn't stop there, he goes further and says, In spite of the crime, in spite of what you have done, God has offered pardon. If you repent. If you get converted, God will do something. He will send times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. He says there in verse 19, repent then, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In other words, Peter, as he's preaching, it's amazing how at one point he sounds like a prosecuting attorney, And then at the point, he becomes a defense attorney. And then at the end, he becomes a pardoning judge. And that's the way God is. No matter what wrong we've done, no matter what sin we have committed, if we repent, if we turn to him, God will pardon, God wipes away our sins, and God will bring a time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So there are three things that Peter talked about. First of all, he says to them, Repent from your sins. The word repent means to change your mind. He's saying to them, change your mind about Jesus Christ. Change your mind as well about your way of living. See, repentance is not just a feeling sorry for your sins, but it's a feeling sorry to a point that you stop doing what you are doing. See, repentance is not false sorrow because false sorrow for sin can just be mere regret. I'm sorry because I got caught. It's not even remorse where we just feel terrible and after a while the feeling passes away. Repentance is not even the same as doing penance. Because when we do penance is when we make a special sacrifice to God to prove to God how sincere we are and to try and buy God's forgiveness. We can never buy God's forgiveness. True repentance is simply admitting to God that God, what you say about me is true. God, what you say about my wrong is true. And I'm willing to change my mind about my life. I'm willing to follow you. I'm willing to not only follow you, to turn my attention and believe on Jesus Christ. See, the message of repentance was not new to these Jewish people. John the Baptist had preached that message of repentance. Jesus Christ had preached that message of repentance. And when you look what repentance is about, in one sense, repentance is a gift from God. God offers us forgiveness. God offers us pardon. And we need to respond from our hearts. We need to sincerely turn around without any problems, and put our faith in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. After repenting, Peter says, we need to get converted. That word convert means to turn again. So in other words, when we repent, we turn from one thing to something else. We turn from our sins, and we turn to Christ. You know, it's almost like even when we are wrong, we still turn to God with all our wrongs. Isn't that amazing? In other words, I admit how wrong I am, but instead of walking away from God who's telling me how wrong I am, I turn to the same God because he is a loving God who will embrace me in spite of who I am. You know, this is almost like little ones. You know, if you discipline a child, oftentimes you'll see them crying and and you know, they, they kind of walk away from you and they're crying so hard, but then at a point they immediately turn and walk towards you, the very one who disciplined them, looking forward to you, embracing them. God is just like that. When he tells us about our wrong. When he tells us about what we have done wrong, we may feel so bad and feel so sorry and may want to walk away from him. But God says, no, just turn right around. Don't just repent. Get converted. Walk towards me because I am ready to embrace you. And that's the kind of God he is. And Peter says, after we have repented, after we have turned around, a third thing will happen. Times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing speaks of what other people call a revival or a renewal or a visitation. When God visits, he turns things around. This is the same way God visited Abram and his wife Sarah who had come to a point in their lives where they had no child and they wanted things to turn around. God visited them. And when God visits, he changed things around. This is the same way God visited Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, next year at this time, there's something that's going to change in your life. When God visits, he brings things that we have never seen before. When God visits, he changes everything that is around in our lives. Can I hear an amen, Basil? When God visits, he brings a different kind of moment that Peter calls times of refreshing. But for God to visit, he's expecting of us to be converted, to turn around and to come to God with a broken heart. Now note, a broken heart is not a matter of us trying to dig up our wrongs and going to get dead bones to resurrect them. But it is when we come to God to say, God, I truly want to experience a revival, a renewal, a refreshing. But I'm aware that my heart has become hardened before you. I've been serving you or I've never served you, but I've not been responsive to you. So as an act of my own will, I come in a spirit of brokenness. Now note this, Bazalan. Hosea chapter 10 verse 12 says, Sow to yourself in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and rain righteousness upon you. So, Hosea tells us, it is up to me to break up my fallow ground. Fallow grounds is like unplowed grounds. When you see a piece of land that has never been plowed, It's never been worked on. It's got weeds and stones and all kinds of things. That kind of ground, even when rain comes, rain doesn't even penetrate that kind of ground as much because it's all hard. So what we need to do for the ground to be ready to receive the rain is to go to that same ground and dig it up, plow it, remove all the weeds, remove all the stones so that the ground is now soft. And when the rain comes, it can absorb that rain and it can benefit from the effects of that rain. Hosea says, we need to break up our fallow ground. He's talking about the fallow grounds of our hearts. When our hearts can be hardened to God and our hearts can be hardened to the move of God. Hosea said, it is for us to break up our fallow grounds. Note, it says in verse 12, so with a view of righteousness, Reap in accordance to kindness. Break up your follow grounds. So when we break up our follow grounds is when I take responsibility for my life. God is not saying, look at your neighbor's follow ground and try to break it up. God says, take care of your own business. Because I'm the one who knows where my heart has become hardened before the Lord. Tell your neighbor, God says, I must break up my follow grounds and not your follow grounds. You know, sometimes we, 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 when we come to church, you know, you know when the sermon is going on, you know, sometimes we may feel like, you know, this sermon is good for my neighbor, you know. <laughs> kind of like a story that I heard years ago where they, they, they said in this particular church, there was this guy who every time after the sermon, you know, the minister would go to the door, greet the, the, the church members as they went home. And, and, and when this guy came, he would get hold of the preacher's hand and they say, you know, you preach so well today. I, I hope they were listening to you. <laughs> that was such a powerful word. I hope they heard what you were saying. And so one day, unfortunately, it snowed very, very hard. And-, and so people didn't go to church except for this man. So when the preacher came up, he thought, my goodness, I've got this guy today. I'm going to preach every rough sermon. I'm going to preach hellfire and brimstone because I've got to get this guy to get the message. So he preached his heart out. And at the end of the service, he went to the door as usual to shake the hands of those who were in church. And the guy came and shook his hand and says, Pastor, if they were just here, they would have really heard the preacher. (laughs) Tell your neighbor, it is not your fellow ground I'm plowing. It's my fellow ground that I'm plowing. See, sometimes our hearts can become so hardened because we have been in these things of God for a long time. We can get so used to the move of God, so used to things in church. And God says we need to break up our fallow grounds because God wants to continue working in our lives. In fact, God is attracted to people whose hearts are broken. Psalms 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such that have a contrite spirit. Psalms 51, verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken, a contrite spirit. These, O God, you will not despise. That word break or broken spirit in Hebrew means to shatter, to smash, to crush. It describes the breaking of an earthen vessel. Just like we read in the book of Jeremiah 18, when the Spirit of God spoke through Jeremiah and said, Son of man, you are just like that earthen vessel. He told Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house and see what the potter is doing. Jeremiah says, when I got there, I found this potter with a vessel that was broken in his hands. But what did the potter do? The potter took all these broken pieces and he put them back together again. So even at us, when we come with our broken hearts before God, with honesty and sincerity and say, God, I am open to you. God takes those broken pieces and he puts them back together again. So a person with a revival spirit or a person who has a visitation or a person who experiences these times of refreshing wants to live in a state of brokenness. They want to live in a state of purity and humility before God. Let me show you what are the marks of true brokenness. Number one, a broken spirit brings a quickening of conscience violation. In other words, once we have a broken spirit, God will ensure that our spirits are quickened or they are renewed. You know, David prays a prayer in Psalms 51. He says, renew a right spirit within me, O God. That's a prayer of brokenness. See, our consciences with time, for some reason, get hardened for whatever reason. If you think about it, when we are young, even when we lie, we don't lie in a convincing way. Is that true? Or or you never lied as a child? Just ask your neighbor, you never lied as a child. Yeah? I'll, 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 I'm guilty as charged. You know, as a child, you'd lie, you know. But how many of you know, you know, when children lie, they can't lie convincingly. If you ask them, Nana, did you do such and such? You'll see them going. But you can kind of see the guilt in their eyes. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? Anybody knows what I'm talking about? You know, you know sometimes say you owe somebody money. And you haven't paid that person their money. This is just an example. I'm not saying it happened, you know. And whoever it was has been looking for you. And they finally find out where you live. And, 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 and as you were in the kitchen, through the window, you could see them coming through the gate. This is that person that you've been owing for the last six months. You had even stopped making any contact with them. And so you, you were all alone with this five-year-old. And then you quickly said to this child, Nana, just tell so and so if they're looking for me, I am not here. <laughs> just stay here, and when they knock on the door, just open the door. Tell them that you are all by yourself. There's nobody else in the house. And Nana goes, and you can see in their eyes, they are saying, their eyes are saying, I'm not sure if I can do this. <laughs> Finally, so and so comes in and says, Nana, where so and so? Nana goes. They are not here. (laughs) (laughs) Or so-and-so told me to tell you (laughs) that they are not. They just cannot lie convincingly. But what happens to us as we grow up? We get into the habit of lying. And the more we lie, our sensitivity inside gets adjusted. Our tolerance level becomes more and more until when we get to that point, and it does happen with some people where they can be so good at lying that they can convince you with tears in their eyes that what they're telling you is true, and they're crying, oh, "I'm telling you the truth," <laughs> and you end up being convinced that they're telling you the truth. But you know, but you know how, how many of you know that's not where they started. See, our conscience is like a thermostat. A thermostat is different from a thermometer. A thermometer measures the temperature. A thermostat sets the temperature. And whatever setting you set it at, it will maintain that level. Our conscience are like that. We can adjust our tolerance level by allowing things into our hearts. And a thermostat will allow certain things until there are things that we can do without blushing. See, our conscience is like a danger signal. Many of us have heard and you've seen on television and how some of the planes have crashed. And you know, oftentimes they make an investigation. And I'm always amazed when they give a feedback to say, 95% or if not more of all plane crashes was through human error. Because they say, you know, a plane wasn't designed to crash. It was made to fly. And, and with most of the gadgets on the plane, you always have plan B. If plan A doesn't work, there's always plan B. But a plane is equipped with a lot of danger signals. And very often when the, when the investigations are made, you'll find out that the pilot ignored the danger signal. Note, danger signals are not our enemy. Danger signals are not against us. Danger signals are there to help us. This is the same thing that happened to the Titanic. The captain of the Titanic ignored the danger signals. And if you ignore danger signals, what happens? It finally leads to a crash. This is what our conscience is like. It's a danger signal. It's saying to us, if you keep on going this way, you're going to crash. So David prays, he says, God, renew in me a right spirit. I don't want to get to a point, oh God, that I am so used to your word that I don't respond to it anymore. I don't want to get to a point, God, that even when I'm singing a hymn, I hardly hear what I'm saying. I'm just rattling my way through the words. God, I don't want to get to a point where I'm so used to going to church that even when I go there, I just go there out of habit. I'm not going to receive from you. Renew in me a right spirit, oh God. And God needs to reset our thermostat, recalibrate us on the inside so that we can have sensitivity again. You know, when you have been in something for a long time, your level of observation kind of lessens. And one gets so used. I remember, you know, when I received Christ in 1978, and uh, only then did I realize the hymns that I was singing in our church were so meaningful. In you know, all the years I had sung the hymns, you know, and it didn't mean anything. But you know, after I became a Christian, all of a sudden, I understood what the hymns meant. And, and every place I went to, you know, everything was so fresh and new. You know, I went to Youth Alive and there we were at Youth Alive reading the Bible. I just liked the way they preached. I liked their songs. I just liked everything. Then later on, I met people who came from Assemblies of God and... Full gospel, every time I went, everything was so new. Then I remember then coming among the charismatics, learning the new songs, you know, learning to raise my hands, you know, in the past, my hands were here, you know. It's, you know, you feel so awkward when you've never done this thing, you know, they raise their hands and... And you know, charismatic people, they're not nice, they'll stand here, and say, a glory to God, and you're thinking, Jesus, what's going on here? Sitting next to them, they're shouting, amen. And I mean, those years, I, I wasn't used to saying amen in church just sit there and look at the preacher so but then I realized you know everything was so new everything was the songs the music even the preaching uh, the everything but you know after a while how many of you realize you just get used to it yeah just get used to it it doesn't mean anything anymore even if it's a song that says let's worship I can just stand there and not worship even if it's a song that says you know let's, let's honor God I can stand there and not honor God And David says, you know what, God, I want to live in a constant state of a broken heart. Renew in me a right spirit, oh God. Secondly, a broken heart is a spirit that is sensitive to God. In other words, it descends when things are amiss. In the same way that your body descends when you have a broken bone. A broken spirit understands when things are not balancing. Thirdly, a broken spirit is teachable. It's never reactionary. It's not close-minded or stubborn. In other words, a broken heart will not argue with God. If God points out there's something wrong in my life, I will respond to God. And by the way, God may not point out something wrong from heaven. It could come through reading the word. It could come through a sermon. It could come through someone I relate with. Fourthly, a broken spirit is a heart that is easily penetrated, just like the ground that has been plowed. Whilst a hard heart cannot be penetrated. In other words, as I sit under the teaching of God's word or as I pray and read the word, as I spend time in the things of God, my life gets affected and impacted because my heart is tender. Number five, a broken spirit signifies that a person is in submission to God and is, in, and is obedient to God. That they are easily bent to humility. Number six, a broken spirit has no pride. In other words, all ideas of my own are not important. Whatever I think about life, I let God be true and every man a liar. Number seven, a broken spirit has deep sincerity. And for that reason, a prayer of a broken spirit is a real prayer. God hears the heart of a broken spirit. In the same way that Hannah came into the temple. And she came in the temple because she was made fun of by her friends. They made fun of her because she couldn't conceive and have a child. They made fun of her because they said all kinds of strange things to her. And Hannah came into the temple. When she came into the temple, even the priest couldn't understand what was going on. And the Bible says... She was so broken in her spirit that when she knelt down to pray, there was no sound that came out, only her lips moved. It is that kind of prayer that God hears. It's a song as well from a broken spirit that has feeling and emotion that God hears. And so a broken spirit is what God needs. And Peter says, times of refreshing, always come after that kind of a broken spirit. In other words, there's always an atmosphere that precedes times of refreshing. We need to have a certain kind of atmosphere, conduct ourselves in a certain way. Note, God only comes through upon our lives when we go after him. God never imposes himself on any of us. God will always go as far as we will let him. God will only change us to the extent that we will allow him to. He wants to bring times of refreshing. He's waiting with open arms to receive us as his children. But we are the one who are calling the shots. In other words, we call the shots by how we respond to him. When we respond to him, to the extent that we respond to him, that's the same extent to which God will respond back to us. Can I hear an amen in the house? Note. Note. For the Spirit of God to move, there always needs to be a conducive atmosphere. And I want to go through these atmospheres very quickly with you. In the same way that when it's about to rain, we can always look up and tell it's going to rain today. Because there has to be several things that converge together. The first thing we need to have to have a conducive atmosphere for the move of God is what Jesus called in John chapter 7 hunger and thirst. We need to hunger and thirst after God. The Bible says Jesus stood on that day and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come and drink. Note, if any man thirst, let him come. If any man thirst, let him come. May I advise you? Nobody knows the extent of your thirst for God or your hunger for God. Hallelujah. And when you thirst for God, when you sense a hunger for God, take a step towards God. Don't wait for your neighbor at all. If any man thirst, let him come. Number two, an atmosphere of unity. Psalms 133, verse 1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Wherever there is unity, the presence of God will come abundantly upon the people. Number three, an atmosphere of brokenness. We've already talked about that. Number four, an atmosphere of expectation, waiting and staying with it. When we come with hearts that are expectant, when we come into the presence of God, expecting God to reach out to us and, and meet us at our point of need, that is attractive to God. It's very interesting that in Luke chapter 2, when you read from verse 22, you find there, it says, when the, it says, when the days of a purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, the parents of Jesus rather brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Go to the next verse, verse 23. As it was written in the law, every man male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Keep going. To offer up sacrifice. Keep on going. Verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem. Note this. Whose name was Simeon. Note what it says. It says the same man was a just man. He was a devout man, note, waiting for the consolation of Israel. When you read here, you'll find that Simeon had been coming to the temple for many, many years, praying and waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to come. Can I hear an amen, Bazara? Amen. And he had a sense of expectation. Number five, the fifth thing that we need to create an atmosphere of the outpouring of God is worship and extended prayer. Acts chapter 13 verse 1 when you read it, it says and there was at the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers such as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Now note verse 2. It says as they ministered to the Lord and fasted The Holy Ghost said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work whereunto I have called them. In other words, you see, what preceded the Holy Spirit being manifested by way of prophecy, or we don't know how the Holy Spirit spoke to them, but there was a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. What preceded that, the Bible says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. You know, when we come to church to a time of praise and worship, That is the atmosphere that we need to be in for the Spirit of God to have the freedom to move. You see, the the, the Bible says, it tells us that we need to enter his gates with what? With thanksgiving in our hearts. See, when we sing in church, we're not doing it because that's the law of the church. We're not doing it because it's just a matter of just waiting for the main thing, which is the preaching of the word. No, when we sing and when we worship, when we praise and and when we sing songs to God, we are doing that to create an atmosphere for the presence of the Lord to be able to work. Not only does it create an atmosphere for God to work, it also prepares our hearts for God to work. And when we have prepared our hearts Times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Somebody say times of refreshing. (laughs) Say it again, times of refreshing. (laughs) Now it's very interesting that Peter says, when we repent, when we get converted, times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. When we come to God with broken hearts, when we create the right atmosphere and we come to God that way, God will bring times of refreshing. Somebody say times of refreshing. That way, at times, it's interesting. That shows that these moments of refreshing will come more than once in your life. Where God brings a renewing, a refreshing, a freshness, and a newness. You know, uh, many of you, you love sport, you know. You know, one of the things I really enjoy in sport is to see somebody who's in whatever sport. Let's take tennis, for instance. You know, sometimes people who are sports people, they go through a slump. For a while, you know, they're playing, they're competing, they're losing all their matches, you know, and, and sometimes they, they get injured and they get, you know, and then they come back, you can see they're all rusted and, and things are not working. And then they keep competing for two years, three years, and all of a sudden, on the third year, it's like they resurrect. Same person who was losing all their matches and things, and all of a sudden, this person, they start playing well, they start winning. You know, and you can even see by their posture when they're walking on that court that this is a different person. You can even hear when they get interviewed in, in the way they talk, you know. You can even read their body language wherever they are that this person has kind of come alive. Same thing happens in, 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 in all other sports where people kind of get renewed and, and get revived. God wants to bring us to those moments in our lives where we get renewed. Why? Because as we continue serving God, we get tired on the way. We get rusted. We we become hardened and and God wants to bring times of refreshing. Somebody say times of refreshing. (laughs) Now that word times is a very interesting word. It's a Greek word spelled K-A-I-R-O-S. That word is used extensively in the Bible to mean the following. Number one, That word, Kairos, speaks of a moment of opportunity that is marked by hearing God's voice afresh and anew. In other words, when we come with brokenness, when we repent and turn towards God, we will have that opportunity where we start hearing the voice of God afresh and anew. And God will bring opportunity into our lives where he's going to do certain things anew. Number two, that word, Kairos, speaks of the content and the quality of time. In other words, in that time, there are significant things that God can do in our lives and in my life and your life. God can change my life. God can touch the family. God can change my business. God can turn things around that has been stuck for many years. And that's a time when God starts breaking forth. It's almost like, you know, uh, everything you touch turns to gold. It's not because of you. It's because God has intervened in your life. Can I hear an amen? amen? And God brings those times. It may just be a short time where everything changes. You know, this is not on the very positive side, what I'm about to say. But, you know, sometimes things can just change all of a sudden in a very short space of time. I remember some few years ago you know, this was such an unfortunate thing seeing an accident happen you know, where you, you, you witness an accident happen, it's like you are spellbound it's such a brief period but after that so much has changed so much has changed, you know this, this young guy uh, wanted to get on board on a moving train you know, so we were standing at the station on the platform, and I was watching him so here's this young guy you know running to this train to try and get on board this train. But unfortunately, he missed a step. It was so sad. Missed a step and fell between the train and the platform. And us, I mean, it was such a horror. Us, just a few minutes and guy was gone. And I remember, you know, I don't think it even took, I don't think it even took more than three minutes. Just everything's changed. One moment he was alive, one moment he's a corpse. You know, one moment he was running to the the train, all alive, all vibrant. Another minute, he's lying there lifeless. But you see, on the positive side, one moment things are not working, one moment things are not going anywhere, God comes upon your life, and all of a sudden things have changed, all of a sudden. Yeah. One moment, things are breaking in your family. Everything is falling all over the place. And all of a sudden, during the Kairos moment, God just comes up and just does something supernatural. I can see God doing something supernatural in your life. And God touches us. God wants to bring us into those moments. Where things that were stuck in your life get unstuck things that you have been believing God for and, and praying about and, and you didn't know how to make headway and God begins to change everything. Can I hear an amen? Kairos moment, secondly, thirdly, speaks of a favorable opportunity where God gives favor. Oh. You know, God is a God who brings favor. And how many of you know favor is not fair? <laughs> Where well, God just turned things in your favor. Number number four. That word kairos speaks of the fullness of time or the set time. The best way to explain kairos is when a woman is expecting a child. How many of you know that even if the doctors can say this child will arrive whenever only God and the child knows when the right time is the right time. How many of you know that? Doesn't matter what we say, only God and the child knows what the right time is. You remember some few years ago in Mozambique, there were very bad floods that happened. How many of you remember that? And I I really chuckled at the story of this woman who was, I think she was nine months pregnant, and floods came and she climbed up a tree to run away from the floods. But you know, the baby didn't know that she's on the treetop. And the Kairos moment came for the baby to be born. The fullness of time came for the baby to be born. It was a very good and good and interesting story. You know, the, thank God the paramedics were there and they were able to assist this lady, but right on, the, on top of the tree. Yeah, baby said, it's time. <laughs> In other words, when Kairos comes, it doesn't matter what is against you, Kairos is going to come. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Even if the moment may not be convenient, even if everything may not be where it's supposed to be, when Kairos has come, Kairos has come. This is exactly what God does many times in our lives when he brings in the fullness of time. When the Kairos moment has come. The Bible says, when the fullness of time has come, God brought forth his son and Jesus was born in the fullness of time. Remember, when the prophecy concerning the birth of Jesus came out thousands of years before, when you read all the way from the book of Genesis, it seemed like whatever plan God brought was intercepted by the enemy. Anybody that God wanted to use as to be in the lineage that would bring about the birth of Christ, either the devil would kill them or they would get corrupted or something would happen. But the good thing is this. God is always ahead of the devil. God always has a plan B. Even before Satan tries to stop what God wants to do in your life, God already has a plan B. Yeah. And God would always come in, in the right time, and he would always rescue his people, and he made sure, That the lineage of Jesus is kept. And the prophecy keeps going on. And if you're a Bible scholar, you read all the way to all the prophets came and prophesied Jesus would come. Isaiah came, said he will come, you know, of his kingdom there shall be no end, you know. The government shall be upon his shoulders. He will be called counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. And he keeps on talking and talking. Then all the prophets come and prophesy and then we come to Malachi. And the prophecy stopped. And for a short while, history goes into what Bible scholars called the dark period. No prophecy, no word of God. It seemed like what God had said is not going to happen. But I'm here to tell you, if God has told you something about your life, it will come to pass. You know why? Because God is not a man to lie. God is not the son of man to change his mind. If God has said it, it will come to pass. In the fullness of time, it will come to pass. And when everything was dead and everything was gone and everything was not happening, and, and, and it looked like there's no prophet in the land. It looked like there's no move of God. There's no chance what God has said would happen. But God has a plan B. Yeah. And God sends the angel Gabriel, come to a young woman by the name of Mary. And it says, "Hail Mary." You are highly favored. I came to bring you an announcement. You will conceive and you you will bear a son. She says, how is it going to be? I I don't know a man. I'm a a virgin. And he says, "The, the spirit of the most high shall come upon you. And that which will come into you shall be called holy. And later on when Paul talks about it, he says that happened in the fullness of time. When everything was quiet and everybody was about to say the plan of God has failed, a kairos moment came. God's gonna bring that kairos moment in your life. Yeah, yeah. When people are are, are just about to write your, the obituary of your vision and to tell us that it never worked, God's gonna bring the fullness of time. I said God's gonna bring the fullness of time, and God brings that kairos moment see, when times of refreshing comes, the Kairos time, it's an amazing kind of time. It's a different type of time to the regular type of time. The regular type of time in the Bible is called the chronos type of time. In fact, the watch in days past, they used to call it a chronometer. In other words, it's a meter of chronos. In other words, a watch measures chronos. Kronos is simply time as it passes by. When God comes, he changes your life from an ordinary, regular time that passes by. He takes the same time and does something amazing with the same time. So there's a contrast between Kronos and Kairos. As I close, number one, Kronos speaks of the quantity of time. Kairos speaks of the quality of time. Chronos speaks of the succession of time with no impact. Chronos speaks of moments of impact. Kairos rather. Chronos speaks of the normal, regular time. Kairos speaks of a life punctuated with God encounters. Chronos speaks of missed opportunities. Kairos speaks of opportunities where you are led by God. Chronos speaks of life without hearing God's voice. Kairos speaks of moments that are there because you are hearing God's voice afresh and anew. Peter says, times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. God wants to do these things in our lives. See, a visitation is when God visits his people. It's when there's a tangible, experiential encounter with the living God. You can see that God is involved in your life. You also can testify, if it had not been for God, this would not have happened in my life. And so, when a visitation comes, we need to thank God for it. When a visitation comes, we need to be grateful to God for it. When a visitation comes, we need to thank God for his mercy and grace. Even though it's up to us to turn and be converted, it's still up to God to bring that time of visitation. A visitation isn't just goods bumps, but it's a simple manifestation of God's presence. We may not know how to describe it. Like Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes in the, He's like the wind. When the wind comes, you know, you don't know where it came from. You may not even know which direction it's blowing into. No, I'm not talking about confusion. I'm not talking about doing strange things, spectacular things. No, I'm not talking about walking on the ceiling or hanging from the chandelier. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about a sudden moving of the spirit of God that brings dramatic change. The spirit of God that changes hardened hearts to soft hearts. The spirit of God that's able to take people's lives and move them to another level. The spirit of God that brings healing, signs and wonders, restoration. The spirit of God that brings joy to a home that has no joy. That brings peace in the heart that has no peace. The spirit of God that takes the life of somebody who's going in the wrong direction and puts them on the right direction and God begins to do something. The spirit of God that takes away from us bitterness and takes away from us unforgiveness. The spirit of God that takes away from us mourning and sadness and depression. And God brings the oil of joy upon our lives. The spirit of God that comes upon our life and sovereignly God begins to do things. To put it simply, visitation is when God comes. When God visits, it's all supernatural. It's breakthroughs, prophetic words come, seasons get shifted, refreshing happens, new things are born glory goes to God joy comes to the people when the angel announced about Jesus coming Emmanuel, God with us the God who is coming to visit people, the angel said joy to the world when a visitation comes it brings joy instead of sadness It brings restoration for the things that we have lost in our lives. When a refreshing comes, God does these new things. And God wants to do those kind of things. In your life and in my life. Because you know, you and I, there's no way we can handle our lives on our own. But we need times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Would you bow your heads please as we pray together. Hallelujah. Oh Lord, we we want to thank you that we can have times of refreshing in our lives. As we bow our heads today in prayer, in honor of you, in honor of your word, we commit ourselves in accordance to your word. Whatever we have done wrong, we will repent from it we will turn we will be converted and our wrongs and our sins will be blotted out and times of refreshing will come where our hearts have been hardened we sorry God things that we may have allowed in our lives and we were not sensitive anymore we ask you to forgive us we want to live in a way that will honor you please you we don't want to be involved with form but we want to be involved with substance we don't want a form of worship that has no depth we don't want to sing a song that has no meaning anymore we don't want to pray a prayer where there's no honesty and sincerity anymore. When it come before you with hearts that are open, this is our prayer. Raise your hands as we sing.